Hi, it's Amy Siskin of The Weekly List and author of the book, The List, and welcome to episode 34 of The Weekly List Podcast, which accompanies week 116 on The Weekly List website, theweeklylist.org, and corresponds to the week ended February 2nd, 2019. Welcome. So before we get into another long list, I want to go over two themes that particularly stood out to me. One is, as we discussed last week, the number of lies that Trump told in the second year of his time in office has escalated dramatically, and the number of lies per day. Well, we're starting to see a battle to tell the truth and decipher the truth in our media. I notice that doing the list week after week, it's getting harder and harder to get to that kernel of truth. The media continues to do interviews of Trump as they did this week. We'll talk about an interview by the New York Times, which is basically Trump speaking without being having any pushback and then it just becomes a spew of lie after lie after lie. He did a similar thing on Friday when he spoke to the press, just told a a chain of lies. And it's almost as if he has successfully now been able to construct alternative truths. But it's not only him. It's caught on with the far right as well. We're going to talk about that as well this week with two stories. There's an alarming trend I see of him using lies and propaganda and us having to make such an extreme effort to keep up with his gaslighting, and then starting to see far-right people on Twitter, on social media, in the media, um, start to take stories that on the face of them are true and say, no, no, those aren't true, those are hoaxes. And people that are Trump supporters believing that. So that is, again, part of authoritarianism, taking away the ability to get information or to decipher information. And that, unfortunately, is slowly happening in front of our eyes. Another big theme this week we're going to be talking about is Trump's foreign policy, which is very front and center this week, um, with his rolling back sanctions against a Russian oligarchs company and pulling out of a nuclear treaty, um, both seen as a victory for Putin. And the long list and growing long list of foreign policy decisions Trump is making that seem to benefit, oddly, maybe not so oddly, Russian President Vladimir Putin. So those are two themes I want to highlight before we get into this week, which was another crazy week. And, um, you know, I feel like as we got started out from January 1st to the end of January and got into February, this has been, in terms of my tracking, the busiest month that we've had in terms of not normal, but you can almost feel as the Democrats come into office and you start to see for the first time really Republicans starting to shift, even if in small ways, to go and rebuke Trump, especially as relates to foreign policy, um, that our country just feels as if it's in a state of, I don't know how to better put it than feeling like it's on fire. We're fighting over over um, news items. We're fighting over a wall and whether there is a crisis. Trump is fighting the truth from his own intelligence heads. We're going to talk about that this week, and that's the picture of the weekly list. So let's get into it because there's a lot to go through, and I'm sure a lot everybody missed as usual in the chaos. This was another one of those weeks when we got to Friday and I started to look at some of the early items early in the week, and I was like, That was this week. That feels like two months ago. Um, So I wanted to start off highlighting a story that, you know, in the beginning of each week, I try to tell these stories that are more of macro kind of stories that give us a sense of what's happening around the world and how we're perceived. Um, A watchdog group, Transparency International, released its Corruption Perception Index for 2018. The U.S. this year dropped four points to 71 The scale is 1 to 100, with 100 being the cleanest and 1 being very corrupt. But of note, this is the first time that the United States dropped out of the top 20 nations since 2011. The report cites the U.S. drop is, and I'm going to read this quote, a red flag that comes at a time when the U.S. is experiencing threats to its system of checks and balances as well as an erosion of ethical norms at the highest level of power. 
That's what the list is about, and we're going to be talking about several of those this week. So starting the week, we started off last Saturday with Trump railing against indictments about against Roger Stone, his friend and longtime associate, uh, tweeting first, although he's tweeting against the investigation. He started out last Saturday by saying Stone, quote, didn't even work for me anywhere near the election. He also tried to draw a whataboutism type comparison, which we have plenty of those this week and every week, tweeting, quote, what about the fake and unverified dossier, a totally a total phony con job that was paid for by Crooked Hillary to damage me and the Trump campaign? Trump also complained he had endured, quote, one-sided fake media coverage, collusion with Crooked H, during his, quote, very successful presidential campaign, adding in a third tweet, witch hunt in capital letters with an exclamation point. On Sunday, on this week, Roger Stone accused Mueller of using, quote, Gestapo tactics, saying they could simply have called my lawyer and I would have turned myself in. It's an attempt to poison the jury pool. On Saturday, the New York Times reported Trump's defeat in the border wall standoff with Congress has left him vulnerable to a primary fight in the 2020 election as anti-Trump Republicans are urging fellow Republicans to run. A top Trump campaign official, Bill Stepien, traveled to the Republican National Committee meeting in New Mexico to orchestrate a unanimous resolution of support for Trump in an effort to project party unity. The resolution, although largely symbolic, was also a sign of the RNC's deepening ties to Trump. The RNC has traditionally waited for candidates to clinch the primary to give undivided support. So again, unprecedented, not normal. Here we are, Trump's takeover of the RNC. On Sunday, in an interview with the Wall Street Journal, Trump said he thinks it is, quote, less than 50-50 that the 17 members of Congress charged with negotiating a deal over border wall funding would come with, up with something he could accept. Trump vowed he would build a wall anyway by using executive powers to declare a national emergency. Again, folks, that's what we started the week with, talking about the corruption index and checks and balances not working and Trump using executive powers to try to act unilaterally. That's called a dictatorship, not a democracy. When asked if he would accept less than $5.7 billion for his wall, he responded, quote, I doubt it. I have to do the right thing. And then Trump proceeded to tweet a bunch of lies on Twitter, and, and we're documenting what he says, but I'm also going to fact check what he says. On Sunday, Trump tweeted, quote, 58,000 non-citizens voted in Texas with 95,000 non-citizens registered to vote, citing a list compiled by Texas Secretary of State's office and mentioned, guess where he found it, on a Fox and Friends segment on Sunday. Texas politicians and voters advocates asked officials to investigate both figures, suggesting the notion of voter fraud has been conjured in the past as a way to remove voters from the rolls. Trump also tweeted Sunday, quote, the cost of illegal immigration so far this year is close to 19 million. Cost Friday was 603 million, excuse me, 19 billion. It is unclear where Trump got his numbers, but experts say they were way high. Trump also tweeted, quote, there are at least 25,772,000 illegal aliens, not the 11 million that have been reported. Most studies put the number close to 11 million, and Trump's own Department of Homeland Security recently estimated 12 million. On Saturday, Reuters reported after NATO and Russia failed to resolve a dispute over a new Russian missile, allies say is a threat to Europe the U.S. may pull out from the Intermediate Range Nuclear Force Treaty. So that's how we started this week. Again, I just want to talk about this story. It's a very important. It's one of the many stories we're going to be talking about as relates to foreign policy, as relates to Trump pulling out of treaties and accords that benefit the same country, Russia. This story started this week with NATO saying, NATO and, and Russian 
failing to resolve a dispute because of Russians' new missiles. So that's started this week. Got very little attention. I tweeted it, put it on Facebook. It seemed like no one was talking about it, but we bookmarked it. Uh, on Sunday, at a Screen Actor Guild's Award, actress Patricia Arquette thanked Robert Mueller and everyone working to make sure that we are have sovereignty for the United States of America while accepting an award. The Washington Post, in the beginning of the week, reported that Trump, who often spent days in the presidential residence without leaving, relishes, relishes giving tours of the White House to hundreds of acquaintances and strangers, bragging about how he has improved it immensely. Trump reportedly has claimed without evidence that his private dining room off the Oval Office was in rough shape and had a hole in the wall, saying of Obama, quote, he just sat there and watched basketball all day. Not racist at all to say that and assume there was a hole in the wall while Obama was there. Although former President Obama typically does not respond to Trump, an Obama White House official told the Washington Post there was no hole in the wall and that Obama rarely worked in the room and did not watch basketball there. Now our economy and the impact of Trump's policies and the recent shutdown. On Monday, a Congressional Budget Office report found the 35-day government shutdown cost the U.S. economy about $3 billion in foregone economic activity that will not be recovered. The agency's annual report also out Monday found the federal budget deficit will hit about $900 billion this year and exceed $1 trillion every year beginning in 2022, two years earlier than the CBO estimated last year. The CBO also estimated the national debt will soar to almost $29 trillion in 10 years, making debt held by the public the largest percentage since 1947, and more than twice the average of the past 50 years. I just have to point this out, folks, because we keep talking about the economy every week and what Trump is setting us up for in the future by piling on this debt that we have from the Republican tax cut and other policies, but our government is just not being stewarded by anybody right now, seemingly. The Republicans certainly took their eyes off of it, and, and Trump has in past weeks, and we've talked about this on the on the Weekly List podcast, said he doesn't care because it's not going to be during his, his time in office. But our economy is going to be in serious danger, folks. For those of you who didn't take Econ 101 or are less involved in the economy, this growing debt, $29 billion, we have to pay interest on that. Interest rates are extremely low now. That's, a, that's like buying a house that's significantly bigger than you can afford and then still having to pay those mortgage payments. That's what's going to happen to our children and grandchildren, having to deal with this huge and growing national debt that we are leaving them. On Monday, White House Economic Advisor Larry Kudlow pushed back on the Congressional Budget Assessment of the government shutdown costs, saying, we frequently disagree with the CBO with all respect, which is true. They always do trash everything that comes out that shows them in a negative light. A new Politico morning consult poll found that just 31 support the government shut down again to force Congress to appropriate money for the wall, while 58% oppose it, even while Trump was threatening that every day this week. Other companies being impacted on Tuesday, Harley-Davidson, who we've talked about many weeks, announced Trump's tariff have wiped out its profit in the fourth quarter of 2018. The company's stock plunged 7.6% on the day, and overall was down 33% for the year, again, because of Trump's tariffs. On Wednesday, the Federal Reserve said it will not raise rates this year, and this is the not normal part. He was asked, Chairman <laughs> Jerome Powell was asked if Trump swayed his decision. And again, unprecedented, we keep talking about this, that a U.S. leader will publicly speak out against the Fed chair these are separated powers and meant to be an independent institution. Powell responded, he, the Fed did not take political consideration into account. On Wednesday, NBC News reported Foxconn may not build a $10 billion plant in Wisconsin, citing the high cost of U.S. labor. Welcome to Econ 101. 
if you'll remember Trump and um, several other Republicans, uh, Scott Walker, Paul Ryan in Wisconsin, had heralded this Foxconn plant ahead of midterms um, and at a, at a um, much ballyhooed White House ceremony in 2017. On Wednesday, Louis Wu, the special assistant to the Foxconn chief executive, told Reuters the company would instead create a technology hub in Wisconsin that would largely consist of research facilities. On Friday, after talks with the White House, Foxconn said it is moving forward with construction of the Wisconsin factory, but would not clarify what kind of jobs will be housed at the $10 billion plant, for which they received many billions of dollars of, of tax rebates and refunds. On Monday, um, this is part of a continuing trend that we're seeing each week, New Jersey State Senator Don Adiego became the latest to leave the Republican Party and become a Democrat. Her defection gave the Democrats in New Jersey their largest majority in decades. We had a similar story last week about California. On Monday, an AP NORC poll found 35% approve of Trump's handling of foreign policy, 63% disapprove. Also, 53% say the U.S. standing in the world will get worse next year, while just 21% say they think it will get better. On Monday, Trump again denied global warming, tweeting in the Midwest, quote, wind chill temperatures are reaching minus 60 degrees, the coldest ever recorded, added, what the hell is going on with global warming? He misspelled it. It's not just my Boston accent. Um, he spelled it W-A-M-I-N-G, but he doesn't believe in it anyway. The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration Twitter account then tried to own Trump, <laughs> saying, quote, winter storms don't prove that global warming isn't happening, with an accompanying illustration to explain global warming. On Monday, Politico reported Senate Rules Committee Chair Roy Blunt plans to take up a measure in his committee to cut debate time on some lower-level Trump nominees for the judicial and executive branch. Senator Blunt said he hopes the measure can be passed in a bipartisan way, but added, if it cannot, Republicans are prepared to use the, quote, nuclear option and act unilaterally uh, and add a permanent reduction in the amount of time. Again, we're getting rid of powers of checks and balances in our Congress. A Washington Post ABC News poll taken before Stone's indictment found half of Americans are skeptical that Robert Mueller's report will be fair, with 28% having just some confidence and 22% none at all. That is the handiwork of Trump's propaganda campaign week after week, as well as his surrogates. Most Americans favored congressional Democrats getting Trump's tax returns, 60%, investigating campaign collusion with Russia, 57% favor that, ties to foreign governments, 61%, and 59% approve of Congress investigating Trump's relationship with Putin. Now, uh, other things that are happening with our foreign policy. On Sunday, the Trump regime lifted sanctions on Oleg Deripaska, one of, Trump, one of Russia's most influential oligarchs. The sanctions were put in place against Deripaska and six other oligarchs in April over 2016 election interference. One Deripaska company, EN Plus, announced seven new directors as part of the deal, including Christopher Bancroft Burnham, a banker who served on Trump's State Department transition team. Representative Jackie Spire wrote to Treasury Secretary Mnuchin, raising concerns that he stole a stake in his firm company to Len Blavintek. We talked about that last week, that that's the Ukrainian oligarch who has ties and donated to Trump's inauguration, also has ties to Mnuchin. And he is a part owner of Deripaska's companies that now got economic relief from these sanctions. A spokesperson from Mnuchin tweeted that this was false information. Then Democrats Elijah Cummings and Senator Juan Ron Wyden wrote to Treasury seeking information on Mnuchin's relationship with Blavin 
Blafnimic, and whether he's thought ethics guidance or to minimize conflicts of interest in his dealings. NBC News reported, even as the European Union moved forward last week with sanctions against Russia for poisoning Sergei Skripal in the UK, three months after deeming Russia in violation, the U.S. has yet to impose sanctions. On Saturday, the Daily Beast reported three weeks into the term, House Republican leadership has yet to name the Intelligence Committee's GOP membership, stalling the committee from conducting hearings. On Monday, Representative Adam Schiff, chair of the House Intelligence Committee, said Michael Cohen will testify before his panel nonetheless on February 8th. It will be closed-door testimony, however. By the end of the week, finally, the Republicans did, bowing to pressure, and four weeks in, uh, put Republicans on that committee so it could actually function. And one of the things they're going to be looking at is obviously these ties uh, and some of the other strange policies that we've had relating to Russia. On Monday, Washington Post reported Lanny Davis said Michael Cohen (coughs) has swapped attorneys wanting new representation as he navigates testifying before congressional panels. This is the third iteration of his legal team. Cohen is bringing on Michael Monaco and Barry Spevak, two Chicago-based lawyers, and firing Guy Petrillo and Amy Lester. Reportedly, Cohen has fallen behind in paying those two as well. On Monday, in a written response to Senator Sheldon Whitehouse, Trump's Attorney General nominee, William Barr, said he has discussed the Mueller probe with Vice President Mike Pence, including a, quote, general discussion. Barr cited occasional conversations in the spring of 2017 on policy and personnel. Inquiring minds want to know what that meant. Uh, But he did not provide legal advice, nor to the best of Barr's recollection, did he provide confidential information. On Monday, Judge T.S. Ellis abruptly canceled sentencing for Paul Manafort in the Virginia case scheduled for February 8th, citing the current dispute in D.C. court over whether Manafort broke his plea deal. On Monday, Press Secretary Sarah Sanders convened the first White House briefing since December 18th. (laughs) It was the first briefing in 41 days. Both the CNN and MSNBC did not cover the briefing live. National Security Advisor John Bolton said at the briefing that the U.S. will impose sanctions against Venezuela's state-owned oil company, cutting off President Nicolas Maduro's main source of cash. At the White House briefing, Bolton held a yellow notepad with what appeared to be the words, 5,000 troops to Colombia sparking reporters to speculate on a military intervention. When asked by reporters to clarify Bolton's notes, a White House spokesperson reiterated Trump's all options are on the table declaration. Press Secretary Sarah Sanders fielded questions, ducking answers as in the past. When asked if Trump is considering pardoning Roger Stone, she responded, quote, I'm not aware of that. I haven't had any discussions with him on that. Sanders also said of Stone, quote, this has nothing to do with the president and certainly nothing to do with the White House, adding, this is something that has solely to do with that individual. On Monday, this was really bizarre. (laughs) And it happened Monday, but as I was going through the week, I was like, that was Monday of this week? I thought that was like three weeks ago, but no, it was this week. On Monday, at a Justice Department news conference on an unrelated topic, attorney, acting Attorney General Matt Whitaker told reporters he had been, quote, fully briefed on the Mueller probe, and it is, quote, close to being completed. Oh, really? Expert noticed it was highly unusual for a Department of Justice official to publicly comment on an ongoing investigation and expressed concern that Whitaker might participate in the review process after the investigation concludes. On Tuesday, as a result of this, Senators Richard Blumenthal and Charles Grassley of the Senate Judiciary Committee introduced a bill to ensure the Mueller report would be released directly to Congress and the public. 
The Senate Judiciary Committee also delayed a scheduled vote to move William Barr's confirmation forward by one week, citing concerns based on his testimony that the Mueller report would be released. So that was, again, supposed to be a vote last Tuesday so that Trump next Tuesday could talk about Barr being confirmed at a State of the Union, but a bipartisan group of senators pushed back and said, whoa, 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 after Whitaker's statements Monday that the report was almost done, they want to know that they're going to actually see this report in Congress, let alone the American public. On Monday, CNN reported Mueller's team still wants to have Roger Stone associate Andrew Miller appear before the grand jury. Miller has been fighting a subpoena in Mueller's Russia probe of the 2016 election. So that was a little bit contrary to Whitaker's comments about it being done. Miller's attorney told CNN that Mueller's team made clear to him that they and the Justice Department are considering an additional indictment of Stone and may plan other charges as well. On Tuesday, this is another important story, the National Rifle Association made its first attempt to distance itself from a trip in December 2015 by a group of its high-ranking members to Moscow, saying the trip was not official. ABC News reported that NRA, NRA emails and photos posted on social media, however, showed the organization was significantly involved in planning the trip to meet with senior Kremlin officials. Again, Moscow. Again, December 2015. Again, all those millions of dollars, 30 million to Trump alone. That's a lot more than the 12 million the NRA gave to Mitt Romney when he ran. And Trump isn't any particular gun nut, but so much more money came in and a lot of dark money that still has yet to be accounted for. In one email, an NRA employee helps Maria Butin make travel arrangements for the delegation, which included the NRA president and future president, as well as Trump campaign surrogate Sheriff David Clark. Dozens of pages of emails between August 2015 and November 2016 detail Butina's efforts to organize a summit. Senator Ron Wyden is investigating the meeting and seeking information and documentation from the NRA. So folks, that's an important development. I've said keep an eye on that NRA money, where it came from, and their role in, well, we already know Butina is cooperating, their role in election interference. On Tuesday, Financial Times reported that Trump and Putin spoke last November at last November's G20 summit in Argentina. Again, that's months after Helsinki with all the you know, brouhaha of Trump not disclosing the contents of this meeting. That's after we covered this on the podcast that when Trump went to the G20 summit, and it was strange, he said, because the Russians had boarded a Ukrainian ship, Navy ship, that he was not going to meet with Putin. And so there, there was meant to be an official meeting, uh, but Trump canceled it and said they only had informal talks. Now we learn they actually did meet on the sidelines of the G20 summit in November 2017. Only First Lady Melania Trump attended from the U.S. side. And again, the White House had previously said about this meeting, it was an informal talk um, and did not disclose that Trump had no official member of his team present. Putin had a translator president, present, but Trump didn't even have a translator. According to Russian government officials, the two spoke for about 15 minutes about a number of foreign policy issues, including, according to Russia, Trump, again, had canceled formal bilateral talks that were meant to happen during the G20. So now, again, we've been speaking in past weeks about Trump having these secret meetings with Putin with nobody from the U.S. involved or there to take note, and U.S. officials, including intelligence, having no idea what Trump has discussed or agreed to. There were two books out this week, and a new mem memoir, Chris Christie, said Trump and Jared Kushner thought firing then-National Security Advisor Michael Flynn would end the Russia thing as a side effect. Trump comes off well in Christie's book, so we're not going to talk about it. It's Christie making a comeback. On Tuesday, in contrast, Trump attacked former aide Cliff Sims, whose book was not so nice. 
uh, calling Sims a, quote, low-level staffer that I hardly knew and saying his book is, quote, boring and based on made-up stories and fiction. Trump also tweeted that Sims, quote, signed a non-disclosure agreement. He is a mess. Trump campaign chief operating officer Michael Glasner said it may sue Sims, claiming he violated his NDA. On Wednesday, a court filing filing by Mueller's team revealed Russian Troll Farm Internet Research Agency, currently facing a legal battle for interference in the 2000 election, is waging a disinformation campaign against the Mueller probe. Yes, you heard that right. I'm going to say that again. Uh, The Russian Troll Farm Internet Research Agency, also referred to as IRA, is waging a public disinformation campaign against Mueller. Who else does that benefit? Donald Trump. According to the filing, Mueller's team turned over 1 million pages of evidence to lawyers for Concord Management, which is owned by a gentleman who is known as Putin's chef and one of the Russian oligarchs as part of discovery in that case. Concord is accused of funding IRA. Allegedly, someone connected to Concord manipulated and leaked the documents to reporters to make it appear that Mueller's case against IRA and Concord were flimsy. According to the filing by Mueller's team, a Twitter account called at Hacking Redstone tweeted, We've got access to special counsel Mueller's probe database and sent out altered documents. The account was suspended. And just as a side note, these accounts, these documents were meant to be confidential. On Friday, an unsealed docket confirmed that it is Mueller's team that is involved in the mysterious grand jury subpoena we've been talking about, the fight that has made it all the way to the Supreme Court for a government-owned foreign company. And now we're going to do our segment, Everyday Racism. Uh, This week, we started off the week with the Washington Post reporting that on January 18th, about a dozen longtime employees from Latin America at the Trump National Golf Club in Westchester County, New York, were summoned one by one and fired. The employees who compose about half the wintertime staff claim they were fired over their undocumented status, following reporting on undocumented labor at Trump's clubs in Bedminster, New Jersey. A former campaign manager said the club emphasized finding cheap labor, and despite Trump's public pronouncements of America first, the attitude towards hiring undocumented workers was don't ask, don't tell. On Monday, BuzzFeed reported, according to a petition posted by the Department of Labor, Eric Trump's Virginia winery is looking to hire 23 foreign guest workers under the federal H-2 visa program. The program allows U.S. employers to hire foreign laborers on a temporary basis so long as no qualified U.S. worker wants the job. Trump Vineyard Estates pays $12.25 per hour for the position. So basically, the Trumps, the rich Trumps, want to pay so low for their vineyards, for Eric Trump's vineyards, that they're forced to hire under this temporary program. If they paid more, they could have American workers, which is the crux of the whole problem of why Trump's economic policies aren't working with, say, Harley-Davidson or Foxconn this week as well, why they don't want to employ U.S. labor. It's called economics, folks. But again, the rules apply to everybody else except for the Trumps. A report by the Anti-Defamation League on murder and extremism in the U.S. found domestic extremists killed at least 50 people in 2018, the fourth deadliest year on record for extremist-related killing since 1970 when they started tracking. The report also noted, quote, every single extremist killing had a link to right-wing extremism and that white supremacists were responsible for the great majority of the killings. LA LA Times reported two years after Trump signed an order to hire 5,000 new Border Patrol agents and 10,000 more ICE officers, thousands of positions remain unfilled. The regime has spent tens of millions of dollars on hiring, yet Border Patrol has about 2,000 more vacancies than when Trump signed the order. ICE has hired 1,325 investigators and deported 
deportation officers, but lost 1,600. So if you spent tens of millions of dollars on hiring companies for these positions, and we've actually net lost positions. On Sunday, veteran journalist Tom Brokaw said on Meet the Press, on a panel about xenophobia in the U.S., that Hispanics should, quote, work harder at assimilation. Brokaw later apologized in a series of tweets. On Monday, NBC News reported comedian Mohanad El Chiki, who was traveling home from Oregon after a performance, was ordered off a Greyhound bus after two Custom and Border Protections officers boarded. The officers asked if he was an American citizen, so he showed his driver's license and valid work authorization card. They then made him call for details on his asylum document. Customs and Border Patrol called the incident a misunderstanding. On Tuesday, Jesse Smollett, a gay black actor, was attacked by two men who yelled racial and homophobic slurs, hit him, poured an unknown chemical substance on him, and wrapped a rope around his neck. Smollett plays a gay musician on TV, and he also self-identifies as being gay and as an activist for LGBTQ rights and HIV education. Chicago police said they were investigating the incident as a possible hate crime. In a follow-up interview the Chicago, with Chicago police, Smollett said he was attacked. His attackers yelled, quote, MAGA country during the assault. He was attacked while walking in downtown Chicago around 2 a.m. And this is one of the stories I want to discuss that we mentioned in, in the preamble of, the, of this episode. Right-wing internet and social media accounts put forward without evidence or by citing false information that Jussie's attack was a hoax. Similar to what they did last week with the Covington kids when a PR firm came forward, showed a different video, and put out a different narrative. Both weeks, a libertarian um, publication called Reason came out with information. Uh, last week, they were the sounding board that came out with the alternative narrative. This week, they falsely tweeted several times um, that Smolnitz that the Chicago police said Smolnit did not say uh, MAGA country during the attack. It was just at that point that the Chicago police hadn't had a chance to speak to Smolnit. But you can see how this disinformation campaign comes up, and you can look up yourself under an attack, Jesse Smolnit hoax, and all the people on the right and in their media who believe this was all made up. In an impassioned appearance on Small, for Smolnet, actress Ellen Page accused Trump and Vice President Pence of fostering a climate of hate, saying, connect the dots with a rise in crimes against marginalized people. And then after all, the, again, this hoax stuff that it was going around in the right wing, on Thursday, Trump was asked about the attack by reporters, and Trump said, quote, that I can tell you is horrible. I've seen it last night. It's horrible doesn't get worse. Trump then pivoted the discussion to his wall. Uh, but again, an example of disinformation. On Thursday, AP reported ICE has started force-feeding immigrants at a Texas location after immigrants at several facilities have gone on hunger strikes over the past month to protest conditions inside detention facilities. At an El Paso, Texas ICE detention center, nearly 30 men, mostly from India and Cuba, have been striking to protest what they say is rampant verbal abuse and threats of deportation from guards. There are also hunger strikes at ICE facilities in Miami, Phoenix, San Diego, and San Francisco. The men in El Paso are being force-fed through nasal tubes, leading to persistent nosebleeds and vomiting. This is happening in the United States of America, folks. On Thursday, CBS News reported ICE told hundreds of immigrants they were issued a notice to appear for scheduled hearings on January 31st or risk being deported. For many immigrants, the notices were fake. Immigration attorneys in Chicago, Miami, Texas, and Virginia said they learned the dates were not real when they called the courts to confirm after an advisory from the Executive Office of Immigration Review. 
I explain the confusion from the government shutdown and a Supreme Court ruling last summer, which necessitates having a date on the NTA, as opposed to ICE former practices of listing it as to be determined. On Wednesday, the Washington Post reported nearly 100,000 comments were posted on the Education Department's website on Secretary Betsy DeVos's plan to overhaul rules on campus sexual assault. That's 20 times the amount of comments that is typical. And I just want to read this quote and highlight your attention to it. A spokesperson for the American Council on Education, which represents university presidents, said DeVos's plan is the most controversial regulatory undertaking in the history of the education department. Several figures in the pro-Trump media, including Sebastian Gorka, falsely claimed online that Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg is hiding a secret illness or is dead. The claims were based on a QAnon conspiracy theory. So that's another example this week, again, of false information. Huffington Post reported Representative Steve King's House.com official government website links to white nationalist blog that contain racist, anti-Semitic, and Nazi sympathizing content. ABC News reported, according to court papers filed Friday night, the Trump regime does not know how many migrant children were separated from their parents at the southern border before the zero-tolerance policy. Again, last week we talked about a confidential report that came out, NBC News reported on it, that thousands more had been separated before zero tolerance. The filings, in response again to the findings by Health and Human Services last week uh, and mandated by a California judge, showed the regime could not confirm or deny reports of thousands of additional family separations. In fact, the deputy director of the Office of Refugee Resettlement, which looks after children, told the judge that identifying separated children between July 2000. 2017 and June 2018 was not feasible and that the regime does not intend to figure it out. So we'll have to see if Congress will push them to. Again, thousands of children separated before zero tolerance. That report came out um, by HHS and we are going to have to see if we're going to have any accountability for that. On Friday, photos surfaced from Virginia Governor Ralph Northam's 1984 medical school yearbook, which showed a man in blackface and another in a Ku Klux Klan robe. Northam apologized and said on Friday in the first round that that was him in the photo. And I, I just want to reiterate, this was a 1984 medical school yearbook. So we've heard the excuse, oh, he was just a high school kid. He was in his mid-20s by now. And in 1984, those of us who are old enough, like myself, know people didn't do that kind of thing then, setting that aside. So that was his story on Friday. On Saturday, despite a call of, of a flood of calls for numerous prominent Democrats and progressive organizations and activists for him to resign, Northam refused and changed his story to say he was not pictured in the photo. On Tuesday, an ABC News Washington Post poll found 56% of all adults say they would not consider voting for Trump in 2020. That's very high, folks. I'm going to say that again. A poll on Tuesday, 56% of all adults say they will not consider voting for Trump in 2020, while just 28% say they definitely will vote for him and 14% say they would consider it. Among mainline Republicans, 27% want a Republican other than Trump. When including GOP leaders, 40% of women, 42% of independents, and 49% of moderates want another Republican alternative. Now we're going to talk about the story that is highlighted this week in the picture with one week 116 on the website. Uh, and this is one of the things we talked about in the preamble, this alternative reality, but Trump's foreign policy being based on who knows what. It, you know, it would seem from the outside that everything we're doing benefits, certainly not our allies, certainly does benefit Russia. Why is that, folks? 
Why are we withdrawing from treaties? Why are we pulling our troops out of part of the world where it will benefit Russia? Why is Trump secretly meeting with, with Vladimir Putin and not telling anybody or not having anyone there to account for it? It's like right there in the light of day, and yet it continues. On Tuesday, the Director of National Intelligence, Dan Coats, CIA Director Gina Hespel, FBI Director Christopher Wray, and other top U.S. intelligence officers gave annual testimony before the Senate Intelligence Committee on National Security Challenges. Just as a side note, all of these folks that were there to testify were appointed by whom? Donald Trump. The testimony highlighted the distance between intelligence officials and Trump on several critical fronts and are detailed in an annual, quote, worldwide threat assessment released on Tuesday. The report stressed the growing cyber threat from the U.S. adversaries, Russia, from two U.S. adversaries, Russia and China, which are more aligned than at any point since the mid-1950s. None of the officials said there was a security crisis at the U.S.-Mexico border, negating the need for a national emergency that Trump has been calling for all week. Coates said high crime rates and a weak job market were spurring Central Americans to migrate. Coates said contrary to Trump's assertions, North Korea was unlikely to complete giving up its nuclear weapons and production capabilities, which the country's leaders considered critical to the regime's survival. Officials also warned, contrary to what Trump said, ISIS has not been defeated. And Trump had said that they had been in his plans to withdraw troops from Syria, which benefits who? Vladimir Putin. Uh, rather, our U.S. officials, intelligence officials, say that ISIS is still a formidable organization capable of attacking the United States. Haspel said Iran was in compliance with the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action Agreement, but Iranian leaders are discussing reneging on the deal if they fail to reap economic benefits after the U.S. pulled out. Officials warn that Russia and other countries continue to interfere with U.S. politics via information warfare and refine their capabilities and add new tactics as they learn from one another's experiences. On Wednesday, in a series of five morning tweets, Trump blasted his U.S. intelligence chiefs. On Iran, he called them, quote, extremely passive and naive, adding, quote, they are wrong and perhaps they, quote, should go back to school. Trump tweeted on Iran, they are testing rockets last week and more, and they are coming very close to the edge. Their economy is now crashing, which is the only thing holding them back, adding, be careful of Iran. Trump also celebrated what he claimed were his accomplishments, saying ISIS's control in parts of Iraq and Syria will soon be destroyed, and that there was a decent chance of denuclearization in North Korea. On Thursday, Trump tweeted a photo of him meeting with Haspel, Coates, and others in the Oval Office. That's Weeks 116's office uh, photo. And he said, quote, They told me what they said on Tuesday at the Senate hearing was mischaracterized by the media. Okay. That's strange because we all watched it live. They, <laughs> the media didn't mischaracterize anything. Those were live publicly broadcast hearings. But once again, disinformation, the thing we've been talking about this week, Trump telling you what you see is not actually happening. Trump said in their testimony on Iran, ISIS North Korea was, was quote, distorted by the press, saying, quote, a false narrative is so bad for our country, adding, quote, happily, we had a very good meeting, and we are all on the same page, he and his U.S. intelligence aides, who totally disagreed with him. Representatives from the CIA and Department of National Intelligence declined to comment. None of the agencies whose leaders testified on Tuesday have issued retractions or amendments to their written or spoken statements, which again contradict Trump on every count. Adding to that, on Tuesday, the Washington Post reported U.S. intelligence officials learned in 2018 that Russia made a secret proposal to North Korea in the fall of 2018 
to build and operate a nuclear power plant there. So again, who's winning? Russia. Byproduct and waste would be transferred from the plant back to Russia, reducing the risk that North Korea would use it to build nuclear weapons. But guess who could? Russia. Um, on Thursday, Trump announced he is nonetheless, despite all the stuff we talked about, maybe, uh, planning to meet Kim Jong-un for a second time at the end of February. CNN reported sources say the location will be the Vietnamese coastal city of Da Nang. On Wednesday, a Gallup poll found Republican Party favorability has dropped to 37% from 45% in September due to the government shutdown. Favorability of Democrats stayed at 45%. On Wednesday, Senator Majority Leader Mitch McConnell blasted the Democrats' bill that would make Election Day a federal holiday, calling it an other paid holiday and a bunch of government workers being paid. Also, something Mitch McConnell would hate and Trump would hate, it would let people actually vote. That's democracy. Oh, boy. Also Wednesday. We were having some fun on Wednesday. Press Secretary Sarah Sanders told the Christian Broadcast Network that, quote, God calls all of us to fill different roles and that he wanted Trump to become president. And that's why he's there. Oh, boy. Sanders also said, quote, I think he has done a tremendous job in supporting a lot of things that people of faith really care about. Adding Speaker Pelosi, calling his wall immoral is ridiculous charge. So God has called Donald Trump the three-time adulterer, five-time draft dodger, authoritarian, racist bigot to lead. Yes. Okay. On Wednesday, now we're... <laughs> Remember Lindsey Graham? Oh, yes, Lindsey Graham, who somehow quietly over break has been promoted to head the Senate Judiciary Committee. You know, Lindsey Graham, my favorite character from my book and from the early weeks of the list, who early on was you know, sort of this foil for Trump, who went with Amy Klobuchar and John McCain to assure our NATO allies back when he was like the old regular Lindsey Graham before he was the new and strange Lindsey Graham that has got stranger and stranger. Uh, on Wednesday, in a letter to the Senate Judiciary Committee Chair, by, excuse me, in, in a letter to FBI Director uh, Ray, um, on, Lindsey Graham wrote about questioning about Stone's arrest, Roger Stone's arrest, including the number of agents involved, the tax, tactics employed, and the timing. Graham also asked if the FBI had tipped off the media, writing, quote, the American public has enough of the media circus around that surrounds the special counsel's investigation. We talked about this last week. This was like a part of the disinformation, the hoax that started with Greta Van Susteren saying, well, how did CNN know to be there? And CNN defended, well, we had been following their grand jury and we knew something was coming soon. So we had somebody camped out in front of Roger Stone's house. So Lindsey Graham is spreading a conspiracy theory. He also is secretly sending this letter, which once CNN disclosed, and then he started tweeting about. But why is Lindsey Graham worried about how Roger Stone was arrested? We're going to talk more about this story. This is so utterly strange. On Wednesday, in an inter interview with The Daily Caller, Trump also criticized the FBI's arrest of Stone, saying he was, quote, disappointed to see that go down that way, where it was on camera. Again, that's going after CNN. A very, very disappointing scene. Trump also said, quote, I thought it was very unusual. You know, I've stayed out of the whole situation because there was no collusion like Trump has ever stayed out of any situation. Um, but whatsoever, but you have 29 people in armored vehicles. Okay, that happened. That's an arrest of Roger Stone, who we're going to find out has a whole lot of information has been uh, threatening people who are are going to testify and threatening to kill them. So yes, force was needed. Uh, when the Daily Caller asked if he, Trump, w would ask the FBI to review its use of force, Trump responded, I think it's a good question for you to ask and it's something I'll think about. Daily Caller also compared FBI's resources on the Las Vegas shooting to the Mueller probe. Trump said the probe's well over $30 million on this Russian collusion hoax, and everyone knows it's a hoax. 
just fact-checked some of this stuff that we just threw out here. On Thursday, NPR provided a fact-check of whether the FBI used unusual force when arresting Stone and found the answer to be no, the arrest was typical for law enforcement agencies. On Thursday, in a court filing, Mueller's team described evidence seized in the FBI raid of Roger Stone as, quote, voluminous and complex and asked the judge to delay the trial to give them more time to sift through information. Investigators seized hard drives with, quote, several terabytes of information, including FBI case reports. Well, that's interesting. Search warrant applications and results, bank and financial records, and contents of numerous physical devices. On Friday, Judge Amy Berman Jackson, who's also the judge in Manafort's case, said she is considering slapping a gag order on Roger Stone, who has been on a media blitz since his indictment. Jackson said the trial will likely take place in July or August. The judge also admonished Roger Stone about witness tampering when she asked him if he understood an agreement not to contact any witness or potential victims. He replied, I do your honor. On Thursday, CNN reported, according to records provided to the Senate Intelligence Committee, Donald Jr.'s calls to a blocked member before and after the infamous June 9th Trump Tower meeting were not with Trump. ABC News reported Donald Jr.'s calls on June 6th and June 9th were with two family friends, NASCAR CEO Brian France and real estate developer Howard Lorber, who has done business in Russia. Trump's ties to Lorber have drawn the interest of congressional investigators. In the 1990s, when Trump explored real estate options in Russia, Lorber accompanied him on a tour of Moscow. So that is important. Nonetheless, on Thursday, Trump touted the calls were not made to him, tweeting, quote, Just out, the big deal, Don Jr. telephone calls after the innocent Trump Tower meeting conclusively found not to be made to me. Trump also tweeted a Daily Caller article which said, New evidence destroys Adam Schiff's theory about Trump Tower meeting. Trump added, This witch hunt must end! Exclamation point. Then did his standard, what about ism? He conjured a Daily Caller article tweeting, quote, Nellie Orr was long ago investigated for paying GPS fusion members of my family, adding, quote, created by ousted and discredited Christopher Steele, illegal witch hunt. On Thursday, NBC News reported Trisha Newbold, the whistleblower in the story that we talked about last week, about Carl Klein's role in granting security clearance to Kushner and at least 30 others against expert advice, was suddenly suspended. The notice, proposed on December 3rd but signed Wednesday, said Newbold's 18-year career, she has not faced any prior formal disciplinary action, but harshly criticized her for her new, quote, defiance. So they're going after this whistleblower. On Thursday, Democrat representatives Ted Lieu and Don Beyer, in a letter, called on acting chief of staff Mick Mulvaney to revoke Jared Kushner's security clearance, citing reporting last week. On Thursday, Trump sent a series of morning tweets alternating between demanding a wall and saying the one was already being built, saying, quote, large sections of wall have already been built. This is a false claim. Trump also tweeted, quote, the wall is getting done one way or the other, and that Republicans, quote, are wasting their time talking with Democrats, adding, quote, I've got you covered, wall is already being built. In response, Speaker Pelosi told reporters, it doesn't matter what Congress does, really. A president who wants Congress to become completely irrelevant in how we meet the needs of the American people. No. So Pelosi's calling him out. Later Thursday, Trump told reporters in the Oval Office of the Bipartisan Congressional Committee, met for the first time that day, that they must fund $5.7 million for his billion for his wall, saying, quote, I don't think they're going to make a deal. Trump added, and it's not going to work. Then the politicians are really wasting a lot of time, saying he would end up circumventing Congress by declaring a national emergency to fund his wall. 
Again, folks, that's an authoritarian talking. Uh, and then there was some pushback this week. On Thursday, in a rebuke of Trump's foreign policy, the Senate voted 68 to 23 to advance legislation drafted by Leader Mitch McConnell, strongly opposing Trump withdrawing troops from Syria and Afghanistan. Contrary to Trump's assertions, McConnell said, quote, I believe the threat remains. ISIS and al-Qaeda have yet to be defeated, and American national security interests require continued commitment to our mission there. Again, McConnell's statements agree with what the testimony was to the Senate on Tuesday by the heads of U.S. intelligence. The rebuke, along with House vote to prohibit the use of funds to withdraw from NATO last week, signals an increased trend of growing dissent to Trump's foreign policy by Congress. Congress also questioned Trump's moves in Venezuela, where he's following the lead of Senator Marco Rubio. Senators Cory Gardner and Bob Menendez plan to reintroduce the North Korea Oversight Act. On Thursday, the Trump regime cut off all aid to Palestinian security forces for training and equipment, an unintended consequence of the Anti-Terrorism Clarification Act signed by Trump last October. That act was meant to make Palestinian authorities pay compensation to terror victims who won civil suits against the PLO in the U.S. courts in exchange for U.S. aids. The Palestinians chose not to sign or receive aids. So that was an unintended consequence that helps nobody in that region, but just an example of the incompetence of this regime. On Friday, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo announced the U.S. will withdraw in six months, we talked about the story in the beginning of the week, from the 1987 Intermediate Range Nuclear Forces Treaty, one of the last major nuclear arms treaties with Russia. Trump did not say if the U.S. would replace the INF, telling reporters, quote, I hope we're, go we'll we're able to get everyone in a big, beautiful room and do a new treaty that will be much better, without specifying who he meant. Trump's decision, when first leaked last October, took European allies by surprise, leaving allies fearful of Trump's unilateral instincts and their recognition that Putin poses a growing threat. Again, folks, troubling stories um, with U.S. intelligence differing from what Trump is saying, from our policy seeming to make no sense, from Trump meeting to Putin. This is really an alarming week. On Friday, Washington Post reported leader McConnell has privately cautioned Trump about declaring a national emergency, telling him the move could trigger political blowback and divide the GOP. At least six Republican senators are fiercely opposed to the move. And polling during the shutdown found that 66% of Americans were against it as well, 12 points higher than opposition to the wall. On Thursday, the New York Times interviewed Trump in the Oval Office for 85 minutes after their publisher declined an off-the-record dinner invitation with Trump and asked for an on-the-record interview. The Times drew criticism that the paper was normalizing Trump in their interview again. Uh, and I'm going to mention some of the highlights of it, but again, this was like Trump spewing off stuff and, and uh, going without being questioned, which is not how you cover an authoritarian. In the interview, Trump took credit for popularizing the term fake news and called himself a victim of unfair coverage, saying, I'm a victim of that. In the rambling interview, Trump insisted he forced Jim Mattis to resign said Ruli Giuliani has been wrong on Trump Tower, Moscow, and other matters, and signaled forgiveness for Steve Bannon. Trump claimed it was not he who directed the senior campaign official to contact Stone about WikiLeaks. We talked about that last week. And claimed Deputy Attorney Rod Rosenstein told him he is not a target of the investigation. Again, all these items could be lies. <laughs> this is just what Trump says, and the New York Times writes it down and spews it back to us. On Friday, Trump hinted to reporters that he will unveil some action uh, on the wall at the State of the Union, saying, you'll hear about it at the State of the Union, and then you'll see what happens right after the State of the Union. Trump said, quote, I think there's a good chance we'll have to declare a state of emergency in order to appropriate the funds to build his border wall, adding, we have a very, very strong legal standing to win, which is a lie. 
And then he continued with more lies. This is Friday talking to the press. He claimed falsely that the wall is being built, saying we're building the wall and we're building a lot of wall, adding, but I can do it a lot of fat, a lot faster uh, the other way. Again, none of this wall is being built. There's been some repairs done. There's money allocated for repairs, but there's, again, Trump keeps saying the wall is being built. This is a lie. Trump also claimed without evidence that Democrats are not being honest uh, in their conference negotiations. Because the forthcoming 2020 election, he said, but I know the Republicans want to do something. On Saturday, remember I also said, keep your eye on Deutsche Bank. The New York Times reported Trump sought a previously unreported loan from Deutsche Bank in early 2016 to get money for Trump's Turnberry property at a time when he was lending tens of millions to his campaign. Although Deutsche Bank had been a lender of last resort for Trump for years, they turned down the loan fearing the reputation of the bank could be harmed because of Trump's polarizing statements during the campaign. Bankers in the private banking unit appealed the denial to Deutsche Bank's top executives in Frankfurt. Reportedly, it was upon this review that senior officials realized the scope of lending to Trump. So stay tuned, folks. Uh, we have Auntie Maxine and Representative Schiff. Both have their committees in gear. Uh, they haven't subpoenaed Deutsche Bank yet, but they have made inquiries to get information about their lending relationship with Trump. So we're going to have a lot to talk about related to Deutsche Bank and why when no other bank would lend to Trump, Deutsche Bank would lend to Trump and why they're also known and were fine for being a global laundromat for Russian money. On Saturday, NBC News reported analysis of the main English language news site used by Russia in the 2000 election showed that Representative Tulsi Gifford, who is about to announce her 2020 run, is a favored Democrat. Websites and social media linked to the Kremlin noted sites associated with propaganda, including RT, the Russian-owned TV news outlet, Sputnik News and radio outlet, and blog uh, Russian Insider are all backing Gifford, Gabbard, excuse me, Tulsi Gabbard. And final story, Washington Examiner fired two reporters who are nonpartisan straight news reporters on Friday while hiring new staff, signaling a possible shift in news co coverage to be more conservative and more Trump-friendly. So folks, this was an alarming week. It was a tough month. 2019 has gotten off to one rocky start with long lists and a lot of scary stuff happening. So if you've enjoyed this podcast, please share it on your social media, leave us a rating, and until next week, have a good one.